0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the same 24 hours podcast. I am your cruise director, Meredith Atwood. It's so great to have you on another episode. Today's guest is Amber Brzezinski. She is the founder of Biceps After Babies. And we had a great chat about one of my favorite topics in the whole world, believe it or not, is nutrition, (laughs) nutrition and working out and barbells. And we had a great chat about all these things. But most importantly, what came to came to surface, what surfaced out of this conversation was mindset, was what do you really need inside of you to effectuate change? And what does that look like? And we kept coming full circle to this internal dialogue that's in our heads, the things we tell ourselves, our beliefs and how that impacts what we actually want in our outcome. So it was really cool how that happened. I did not plan it that way, although it's always nice when it is a great conversation. So this, in fact, was a fantastic conversation, and I hope you all enjoyed this episode with Amber Briesakey, Biceps After Babies. Hi, and welcome to the Same Twenty Four Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete, although right now all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi everyone, thanks for joining. This is Amber Breeze-A-Key. breeze key You did it. (laughs) Biceps after babies. So we have a, a mutual online friend that neither of us, well I actually went to high school with her and she said you have to reach out to Amber because in a perfect world the three of us will be friends. Oh, I, said, <laughs> I said, okay. And so Kristen, she emailed me. She's like, so let me know how she is if she's good for our friend group. <laughs> if we can be friends with her. If we can be friends on with her. her. <laughs> so I did. Um, so once she told me, she's like, you have to go follow her. I did. And I started checking out your content and we do have a lot in common and you're putting out some, some great stuff. So I thought it would be super fun to interview you. So welcome. Yeah. Welcome to my little Thank world. You. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: And I always so- am looking for more like virtual workout buddies. So that's always fun.
0: All right. So Amber, let's tell everyone a little bit. Let's hear your story. Tell us your, your backstory and how you came to fitness and and all the things. Sure.
1: Awesome. So, um, I grew up in a pretty active household with a mom who really was such a great example to me of fitness at a really young age. And, um, and I love that. And um, i hope to pass it on to my kids so i have four kids and that's something that rings in my head a lot of like the example that my mom was to me um and she taught fitness classes some of my earliest memories are actually remembering going to the gym sitting in the like kids care area and there was a window between me and where my mom was teaching and i remember like i would look in the window and i would see my mom teaching old school aerobics <laughs> step aerobics um, and so from a very young age like i just saw my mom going to the gym very consistently. And when I turned 14, my mom took me into the weight room for the first time. So you had to be 14 at the YMCA to be able to go to the weight room. So I turned 14. She took me to the weight room. She introduced me to weights. She introduced me to like the machines and the free weights. And like, I grew up with this expectation that like, women going to the weight room was totally like, that was like a totally normal thing to do. Um, because I had my mom who was this great example of fitness to me. And, um, you know, fast forward, I went to, um, college and I, you know, did some weight classes in college, got a little bit more into it. Um, and, but it didn't really, really start for me until I had my first kid and I had my first baby and, um, I had previously been going to the gym, you know, kind of just at the, at, my husband was in medical school at the time. So we were at the medical center where I'd go to the gym and then I had this baby and all of a sudden I couldn't go to the gym anymore because they didn't have childcare. And, um, I, we were very poor at the time. If anybody who's gone through medical school, like it's a very long road and you don't get paid for a lot of it. And so my friend said, Hey, you should come to the gym with me. And I like, like hurt my heart to spend $30 a month, like going to the gym. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But at that point in my life, I was like, I need this for my sanity. And so I did, I paid the $30 and like, that was one of the best decisions I made because it really set like this trajectory. Um, I loved the fitness classes. I enjoyed them. I ended up becoming a fitness instructor, um, taught classes for eight years. And then, um, started to say, Hey, like, what else can I do with this fitness thing, you know, outside of just classes. And so I started doing some bodybuilding. I then moved on and did some powerlifting. Um, I'm currently doing CrossFit. And during this time of like, kind of trying a bunch of different fitness things, um, was when I started my brand biceps after babies. And this was something that just kind of started organically. Um, I had been teaching fitness classes for a long time. And I kind of got to this point where I was like, I've been teaching classes for a long time. I teach six classes a week. You know, I exercise like almost every day. And my body just like always kind of looks the same. <laughs> and I know there's people <laughs> out there that can relate. They're like, I work out so hard, but like nothing really ever changes. And that was at the time, it was 2016. I found, um, you know, this this thing called macro counting and I, and it oh, wasn't yeah. like, Wait, it wasn't like it is 2016? now that like people know what it is. 2016. Yeah. It was still like, just kind of trans, like going from the bodybuilding world into like general population, but I found it and I was like, yeah, like that makes sense to my science brain. I have, I'm a nurse by trade. And so I have a nursing background and I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm 2016 is going to be the year I get a six pack. So that was my (laughs) new year's resolution. And, um, I started counting macros and it was amazing to me when I got my nutrition on board, aligned with the workouts that I was doing, how much my body changed. And so I started an Instagram account, just sharing what I was learning. And all of a sudden people were like, Hey, can you coach me? Can you teach me? And I'm like, sure. Like I can totally coach you and teach you. right?" Right. And, um, that was how the brand was born. Um, biceps after babies came from this idea that I really wanted to show moms that they could be their fittest version even after they have their kids. Like I have four kids, right? And I'm fitter now at 36 with four kids than I ever was, um, in my twenties pre kids. And so, um, that's really what I do. And what I love, I love to help women get strong. I love to help women lift weights. I love to help women be able to feel and control, um, and, and be able to align their nutrition with whatever the goals that they have. And so that's really where I focus my time and energy now is, is giving women those tools to be able to feel empowered in their life, to be able to set whatever goal it is that they want and then achieve it. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good. So let's talk a little bit about getting stuck and getting unstuck. I get this all the time. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. So, and I know, like, with four kids and and with what you've been through in life, you've been stuck. I've been stuck. I've been yep. stuck as soon as like three weeks ago. But mm-hmm. what is it about, you know, what you've done over the the last decade and what you've learned about getting yourself stuck <laughs> and getting unstuck and like, how do you help women get out of that? Because I feel like that is the number one thing that people email me about.
1: Yeah. No, it's so good. And and I think. Um, you know, one of the things that I teach my clients and and one of the things that I'm really, that I excel at as a coach is helping clients to ask themselves better questions than they're currently asking themselves. And so to me saying, I'm stuck, what do I do? Is a really bad question. (laughs) It's not going to get you a very good answer, right? Because now you're just staying in that, like, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do. It's like this, like, like you throw your hands up, right? Like, I don't know what to do. And so I like to start helping my clients to ask themselves better questions. And so um, a better question may be like, what, what am I currently struggling with? Like, why? what is causing me to label where I'm at right now stuck? What do I want to have happen, you know? And so when we can start to ask those clarifying questions and create this idea of like, when someone says they're stuck, what they really mean is they have a goal or reality that they would like to create that they are not currently at, right? And there's a gap. And so because they have a goal and they're not currently at their goal, that's created a gap between where they are and where they want to be. And we term that as stuck, right? So what Mm. they really want to do is to be able to close that gap. And they want to have the actions that they need to take in order to close that gap. So in order to close a gap, we first have to get really clear at what the gap is. And so that's where we can start to ask our questions like, What do you want? Like if in a perfect world, if I could wave a magic wand, what would you want to create in your life? What results would you want that you don't currently have? We get really clear on that. And then we can get really clear on what results do you currently have? because it, it like drives me crazy when people are like, well, I don't have any results, right? I have zero results. <laughs> and, and the truth is, is that you have results right now because the actions that you've taken have created the results right now. Right. now if you don't like those results, that's right. that's okay. <laughs> but the action you took in the past created the result right now. And if you want a different result, we have to take a different action. So when you can get really clear on where you want to go, the results you've already created with the actions you've already taken, we can start to get really clear on the actions that you need to take now that are different from those actions to be able to close that gap and get you to where you want to go.
0: Yeah. And so how much do you advise your clients to kind of open their eyes and, and take in the truth? Because I feel like that is a really big step in the right direction. Like so many of us have put our heads in the sand and I know it was really easy to do when kids are young. You're like, I'm just going to put my head down here in the sand and stay here until this all goes away, (laughs) until I emerge from this. Um, But I've always like tried to help people say, see that when you just, see the truth, you know, the, the proverbial meeting yourself where you are on the yoga yep. mat. But to see where you are that I know you're not happy. But like you said, I get no results. These are your results, where we are, mm-hmm. are the results, but to to just see the truth. And and, and to understand that the truth is not final. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not having to accept that as the end, but as the current truth, like, how do you help your clients kind of navigate that?
1: Absolutely. And, and here's the truth. Like if you know, let's say like somebody blindfolded you and they dropped you in the middle of the United States somewhere. Um, and they're like, make it to New York. You would say, okay, awesome. You like take the blindfold off. The two things that you would need to know is where you're currently at and then where the heck is New York from where you're at. Right. (laughs) And so if you don't figure out where you're currently at, there is no way to be able to get to where you want to go. And so, um, I totally resonate with what you're saying. And, and I think, That is something that we like to try and do sometimes is like cover our eyes and be like, I don't want to
0: know. I don't want to see, but if you don't too far gone, like if I see, I will feel that I'm too far gone and there's no getting me back. And so I'll continue. And so, yeah,
1: totally. And so there's a difference between acknowledging where you're at and judging where you're at. Right. And so that's what I find with most women is we aren't very good at acknowledging because we skip we like skip over the acknowledging and just go judgment, right? We start to say, you know, I take a progress picture, and like a progress picture is a fact, right? Weight is a fact. The Measurements <laughs> are a fact. Like they, they just they just are. Like, and right. then we place meaning on them, right? But uh, but a number doesn't have any meaning other than the meaning that you choose to give it. And so what happens is a lot of people skip to that judgment, and they want to say that number is too high. Like those progress pictures do not look good. Right. And so, but that, but that's where you can start to tease out what is the fact here? What's the result? And then what is the judgment that I'm placing on the result? Judgment does not help you. Judgment is not motivating. It is not going to push you harder. Um, but that's not the same as acknowledgement. Acknowledgement is saying, here's where I am, right? It's not good. It's not bad. It just, it just is like, this is where I am and this is where I want to go. And now when we can remove that layer of judgment and start to make conscious mental choices rather than emotional, right? We mm-hmm. all know that our brain works better, sans emotion, <laughs> right? right? We it's work fun. better when we don't bring emotion into it. Right. Um, and we can do that when we when we stay away from that judgment and just say, hey, I'm acknowledging where I'm at. I'm acknowledging where I want to go. And now I can start to really solidify the steps that are needed to close that gap.
0: And so what is the mental mindset that you have found your clients have to have in order to progress? Because I mean, I find that sometimes you get people that come in and they do, and me me personally, like I'll do great. And then I'm just like, and then two years later, I'm like, wait, I'm still in the same place I was two years ago. What is happening? Why am I actually not progressing? Like, what is the mental state and and that, that you see that is sort of required to make real progress and what are the measurements that actually make up progress? Because I think totally. that's an important thing too.
1: Yeah. Um, and so what, what I think you're kind of alluding to, or what I see a lot in my clients, and if you're like most women, this is something that you experience, is this idea of self-sabotage. And yeah. that's this idea that just because you know what to do doesn't mean you actually do it. Um, and a lot of women can, can relate to that. They're like, I, we all know we should be exercising. We know, know we should be eating healthy, but like, we don't actually do it. Um, and that's called self-sabotage. And so getting out of that self-sabotage cycle is one of the most valuable, um, things that you can learn, uh, is to be able to remove yourself from that self-sabotage cycle. And in order to do that, there's, there's two main things there's, you know, I could go on and on and talk tons about self-sabotage because it's something I do with my clients a lot, but I would say the two main things that I think are very valuable when we're talking about breaking that self-sabotage cycle, Number one is I find self-sabotage happens a lot when we don't truly believe that the results that we want are possible for us. And so we Mm. set a goal and we would like to have that goal. It would be really cool. Like, wouldn't that be amazing if we have that goal, but deep down inside we don't actually think it's possible or we think it's going to be way more work. I don't think I've
0: ever heard that. That's actually really, yeah, it makes so much sense.
1: Yeah. Well, it does. Right. Because what you start to do is you create this self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you don't actually believe that you're capable of doing something, you're not going to do the things you need to do in order to achieve it because your brain has already decided that you're not able to get there.
0: And Um, you're going to also look for the evidence that supports that. Bingo.
1: Bingo. Exactly. And so then you will find all like your brain, your brain finds evidence to support the things that it already believes. And so if you right. believe it's not possible for you, you're going to find all the evidence in the world through your experience and through other people to be able to say, yeah, it's not possible for me. And and when you do that, then you will, you will self-sabotage. Um, so that's one of the biggest things that I see with self-sabotage is it's really truly like, do you believe that your success is inevitable? Um, and if you don't, there will be an element of self-sabotage because your brain always wants to be right. The second piece that I find is really valuable with self-sabotage is that self-sabotage often is created it's created subconsciously um, and you cannot fix something that is subconscious unless you bring in your conscious brain right And so um, I don't know if you've ever heard the analogy, but I I love this analogy because I think it 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 explains the dynamics between the subconscious and the conscious so well. The subconscious is like an elephant, and the conscious is like a rider. So the elephant is big and massive and can kind of do whatever it wants, right? And there's a little rider sitting on top, and the rider can like control and and move the elephant to some extent. But if the elephant gets agitated or it wants to do what it wants to do, ain't nothing that the rider is gonna do is gonna fix it, right? Right. And so we ha- there's this like dynamic between the subconscious and the conscious, and so what we really want to do is bring the the conscious in to have that writer start to guide the subconscious, and that's where I talk about this value between separating um, the emotion from the fact. And so when we can start to tease that out, emotion comes from the subconscious. It comes from like our thoughts and our feelings and our beliefs. And we can when we can start to bring the conscious in and um, actually intellectually think about things it makes all the difference in the world Um, and so one of the things that I teach my clients a lot is that separating out fact and emotion right what are the facts in the situation and then what are your interpretations and your beliefs about those facts and when you can bring yourself to that higher plane of understanding the facts and and creating interpretations that actually benefit you in the long run, then that can be a really powerful way to start to break that self-sabotage cycle. So those would be the two things that I, that I see and I coach a lot in my clients. Um, there's other things we could start talking about your why we could start talking about, um, you know, history and uh, beliefs around failure and stuff. But I would say that those are, those are the two biggest ones that I see and help clients deal with on a day to day basis.
0: Well, and it's interesting you brought up the unconscious, the subconscious, because so many times we don't even realize what is going on at that level until you've stopped and tried to really exactly. listen to your inner voice, your inner dialogue. You you don't even know what you're saying. And the worst part is when you really feel like you're stuck, that inner dialogue is what's running your show. Like, totally. And you don't even know it's running it. So that, that sort of underlying current of, Why am I stuck? Why does this always happen to me? How can I never get through this? That is, chances are that is your subconscious running your show. Yeah, (laughs) And so you have to be able to hear it.
1: Yeah. Well, when we talk about, you know, I said, a lot of times people are asking themselves really poor questions. I find that why questions are really poor questions for yourself. Like, why is this happening to me? Why can't I do this? Why can't I stick to it? Like, those are really bad questions. Um, And the funny thing about beliefs, and this is to the point of what you were saying, the funny thing about beliefs is that they don't show up as beliefs to us. They just show up as truisms. So that's why having somebody be able to help you pull out those beliefs is so valuable because in your life, like, the things that you're holding on, the beliefs that you have, the thoughts that you have, like they don't show up as thoughts. They just show up as like, that's the way the world is. Mm. Um, And if you continue going out and believing, like that's the way the world is, that's the reality you're going to create in the long run. Um, And so you're so right that that inner dialogue that's happening before you can change it. I mean, we're going back to what we're like, it's like full circle before you can change it. (laughs) You have to acknowledge it. You have to notice yep. it first. And See so once works? you can. It's all yeah, right. It, like, it's like a, such a good, like, that was a really good podcaster moment where you just like brought it full <laughs> circle <right>. around.
0: Because <laughs> everything's a circle. Full circle.
1: We're always around to that.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's talk a little bit about strength training. I know you get this question. I want to start lifting weights. Where do I start? So. We're in, I don't know, you're in, you're on the West coast. We're still locked down here in Massachusetts. So still home workouts. Where do you start when you want to get stronger? Um, so I
1: think, I think the first thing, and I'm always big on like, well, what's your goal? Right. Mm So, um, you cannot create a program. You cannot create a steps or anything if you don't know where you're trying to go. And so I think that's the most important thing. And so when someone says I'm trying to get stronger, like that means something very different to different people. So like, what does that mean to you? Um, or get healthy, right? Like, well, how will you know, that you're stronger. How will you know that you're healthier? And when you can start to figure that out and get clarity on that, we can reverse engineer the process to get you there. So for someone who's like, you know what? I I know I should be lifting weights. I know that that's a healthy thing to do and you just want to get started. Um awesome. Like you can get started with very basic minimal equipment. Um you know, you can even get started with body weight. You can do air squats, you can do push-ups, right. you can do pull-ups. Like there's body weight stuff that you can start Burpees. with. Um once- Or Yeah, right. One thing that I think is really important in terms of strength training, and I feel like this is something that not enough women understand. And that is that in order to build muscle or in order to build strength, you have to continue to progress, um, progressively overload your body. And so the mistake that I see most a lot of women making is they show up, they go to the gym, they pick up their 15 pound dumbbells they do their shoulder presses or their curls or whatever. And then they pat themselves on the back and they leave and they come back to the gym three days later and they pick up those same 15 pound dumbbells and they do their shoulder presses and their, and their bicep curls and then they pat themselves on the back and they leave. And then they wonder why nothing ever changes. And the reason is, is because your body will only acclimate to the stress that is placed upon it. And so if you don't keep progressing that stress over time, you will not build muscle like your body doesn't magically build muscle. Eating protein doesn't magically build muscle. Your mu- your body will only build muscle in response to a stress that is applied to it. And I think if more women understood that concept, we would have way less frustrated women in- right in the gym because they show up and they do the same thing over and over and over again. And they wonder why nothing changes. Well, the reason because is, is somebody
0: because somebody in the 80s told women that they shouldn't <laughs> that- <laughs> lift weights and it's still in our mothers told us that. And we're totally. like, doing our 12, you know, or 15 reps of eight pounds when like we right, should and be our doing little, like, like <laughs> yes. 40 to 40 pound curls for fives. Like- <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. And so when you ask this question of where do I get started, I like, I'm all for like starting with body weight. I'm yeah. all for starting with body weight resistance bands, lightweight dumbbells, but that is a starting point. And if you stay there, nothing's going to ever happen. And so, yes, you can start with body weight. You can start with lightweight dumbbells you can start with resistance bands, but if you really are actually aiming to gain muscle or aiming like long-term strength, you will need to progress that. And so we had this natural evolution of like, yeah, cool. Start with bands, start with body weight. As you get comfortable with that. And as you get stronger, because you will, you'll get stronger initially. Um, awesome. Then we start to move to like, let's add in some dumbbells, right? Let's add in some like more dynamic things, some, some yeah. dumbbells. And then then we can get a barbell in your hand, right? Like that's like my jam, right? (laughs) Is that then we can get a barbell in your hand. But for a lot of women going from never lifting weights to doing barbell work is a really big jump. So if that's something that is like, feels scary to you and you don't want to make that jump, that's totally fine. Like go through that progression. Um, I love barbell training. (laughs) I love feeling strong. Um, And I would love for like to get every woman to that place, but just get started wherever you're at right now um, and, and start taking action and getting comfortable going into the weight room when it yeah. opens back up, you know, nice. getting comfortable, know. like starting to lift weights.
0: Yeah. So in my former life, like when I was growing up, I was an Olympic style weightlifter. So I did Olympic style weightlifting before weightlifting was cool with oh, CrossFit. Geez. So yeah. I always joke that we used to go do competitions like nationals was in a Ramada Inn ballroom and there were like 50 people. And now like American open is like, four days and thousands of lifters. And so my husband always joked like, man, we really chose the the wrong time to be, to be born. But I love, I love a barbell and Mm -hmm. um, I loved it then. And I still love it. There's something that just so powerful about picking up a barbell. And so Mm -hmm. I love that you said, you know, that you feel the same way, but obviously it's, it's also very, Intimidating if and it's yeah. heavy. Like a barbell is. is is straight heavy. <laughs> you look at yeah. it. Like, well, that's probably not heavy. It's just a bar. No, it's heavy. It's yeah. forty five pounds. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's. I think that is a goal. Like that's a great goal if you're starting out um, wanting to do strength training, like a goal could be like, I want to pick up that barbell and <laughs> do a power mm-hmm. clean with yeah. it, you know, in a year or something. And I think it does, there's something about it that just makes you feel so strong. So, um, yeah. I like that feeling too. Yeah. And you can totally jump to barbells. You don't have to go yeah. through that progression, True.
1: right? You can totally like never have lifted weights and go straight to barbell training. If that's you and that's your personality and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go all in and do it. You totally can. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you are find yourself being like I can't even imagine myself picking up a barbell, you don't have to. Like you can get started along the no path. One's no one's making gonna you. Nobody's going to make you pick up a barbell.
0: It's your life. <laughs> um so the magic the magic equation nutrition. Let's talk about yeah. it. This is this is what I've been in denial my whole life mm-hmm. about because I I did all the sports I did, Ironman and I was like it's not about nutrition and it's yeah. it's all about <laughs> nutrition. Yeah. Like, So much of it is, and I know you can't prescribe specific nutritional advice on, on something like this, but what have you found that we're getting wrong just generally? Like what are like three things that we just keep not getting as a culture? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So for me, I think the biggest one is this idea, um, that we're going to fit ourselves into a diet. Like we're going to fit ourselves into Like for me, when I look at diets, like diets were created by somebody else for somebody else. Like no diet was specifically created for you. Um, it was created by somebody else. And you're supposed to fit yourself into their little like scheme, their little rules, right? Um, And we try to do that over and over again. And a lot of women can relate that over the years, they've tried to fit themselves into these different like diets, these different ideas of like, here's how you eat, here's the right way, here's the wrong way. And it's very cut and dry. And if you do it the right way, then you're going to be rewarded. And if you do it the wrong way, well, then what are you even here for, right? Like do it the right way. And um, that mentality, first of all, that mentality of right and wrong is has such a, a is a problem with our, our psyche um, of starting to label foods good and bad, right and wrong. But even beyond that is this idea that we we've, we've decided that there are like these some inherent rules that we have to follow, and that if we don't follow them, then we're never going to get the results that they want. And what I really encourage women to do, and what I really coach women to do, is to get to this place of understanding that you are like. And of course, this makes sense when I say this, but we're going to (laughs) relate it to nutrition, but like you're unique, right? Like (laughs) like, you're unique, like your body is unique. Your metabolism is unique. The goals you have are unique. The lifestyle you want to create and live is unique. And of course that makes sense. But then when we get to this idea of like, how am I going to lose weight? We feel like we have to put that uniqueness into some sort of box. Mm. And so what I really encourage people to do is to understand that like, let's stop asking our question of like, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this good? Is this bad? Is this healthy? Is this unhealthy? And start asking ourselves, question: is this effective? Right? Because mm. the answer of, is this effective is very different from this answer of is it right or wrong? And so what I really coach clients through, and I do it in the terms of macro counting and I probably teach Mac. I know I teach macro counting very different than a lot of coaches because I macro counting can be turned into a diet just like anything else where it's like, here's your macros. Here's the right way to do it. If you don't hit your macros, that's the wrong way to do it. And you need to try harder, right? To Mm -hmm. me, that's like, that's just turning it into another right or wrong, good or bad diet mentality. And when we can move to this place of understanding that you are unique and we can customize and create a plan over time to your body, your results, you know, your metabolism, then that's a really powerful place to be. And so what I do with my clients is help them learn to, um, take action, to gather the data to be able to analyze that data effectively and be able to make adjustments in their own personal plan that's going to drive them towards the results that they want. And you can just see it. It's like a, it's like a scientific model, right? Like you take action, you gather the data, you analyze the data and you make adjustments. And if you can continue that cycle over and over, right. what you're going to get over time is a very customized plan to you, your body, your results and your lifestyle that you want to be able to create. And I think if we could get people to sit in that place of empowerment of recognizing that they don't have to fit themselves into a diet that they can customize this plan and this process to them. Um, that is just an empowering place to be in your fitness journey.
0: Yeah. And I had a similar experience. Um, I started training for a bodybuilding show and then I'm still here and not even close. So that's been a year, but, um, what I learned in the year was exactly what you said. So I, I came out with a very specific, like two week meal plan, and we looked at how that affected me, right? And from there I could see, but where I had always fallen down was what you had said, like, um, pick a diet and I'd stick to that diet for 12 weeks yeah. with minimal results. But this approach of looking at things for two weeks, getting some real data, because women, I mean, our weight, our, everything goes up, down, up, down, up, down. So you've got to have yeah. like blocks, but in that block, like the macro... And I mean, the macro level, micro level of what I was doing could be destructive in that little block. And so I could never get like the right data because I was just blowing it off or throwing myself another loop. And so that's, one of the things that I have learned is that I have to have accurate data. You have to do what you say and log your food and be for real and don't lie in your food journal in order Mm -hmm. to get the data. Right. Because otherwise you're just like throwing something at the wall and hoping it sticks. So you still have to have like data and a plan to really figure out what works for you. Cause it's not like, I just feel a certain way and I'm going to eat a certain way. Cause I feel like pizza and ice cream every day. Um, <laughs> that is not effective <laughs> in your words. Uh-huh. So have you found like do you, do you coach women how to structure that? Like, how, like, look, you got to be accountable. You've got to tell the truth. <laughs> you've got. Yeah. to
1: Yeah. And I think this, again, we're going to loop back to something we already talked about. And it's this idea of judgment. Um, because, what happens for a lot of women is they're okay tracking and logging their food as long as that's good, right? As long as they're making mm. good choices, as long as they're hitting their macros, um, and the moment that they're not going to hit their macros or the moment that they eat something that's outside of their plan, then they stop tracking because they don't want to acknowledge it. And we've already talked about that. You yep. can't That's guilty. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's you and like 95% of other women, <laughs> right? Um, we do this thing where we're like kids and we're like, you know, they cross, close their eyes and they're like, find me mommy. Right. <laughs> they think you can't <laughs> right. see them, but right but the the reason that, that we don't do that is because we start to judge it, right? Because if we log that we've judged that as bad, I'm not hitting my macros. I shouldn't be doing that. Right. And so, um, again, I'm going to come back to this idea of judgment and, and this is where it's not right or wrong. Like in my mind, it's not right to hit your macros and it's not wrong to not hit your macros. What the key is, it's, are you acknowledging it and owning it? Mm. And so if you choose to go over your macros and it always is a choice, like it's always a choice that you're making to go over your macros. Even if you go seven, eight, 12,000 calories over your macros, like you're making a choice. Are you going to sit there and you're going to own that choice and you're going to acknowledge it and you're going to track it. And so to me, that's still data, whether or not it's consistent data, it's still data. You're acknowledging it, you're owning it, you're tracking it and we can still make, adjustments based off of that data that you put in. But if you don't put the data in, if you don't acknowledge it, if you try to pretend like it didn't happen, now our data is all messed up.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. The way data works is it's like an experiment, right? You, you do something and you get an output. So if you're not honest with whatever the input is, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be Hitting your macros every single day, but if you're not honest with it, the results that you're getting out aren't going to be able to be accurate to make adjustments to the input in the future. So, I would say for you know people who are listening who struggle with that, um, it is coming from that place of just looking at it as data. Yes, the data you get out, right, your weight, your measurements, your progress pictures, like all of those things, those are data that you get out. The data that you're putting in is simply acknowledging what you ate, whether or not it hit your numbers. Whether or not it made you go 700 calories over, like you're just yeah. you're acknowledging it. That's the piece of data as well.
0: And this is super important because I thought like years ago on a podcast, I admitted that I lied in my food journal. I would be like, yes, I had three ounces of this when right. I had, you know, 12 <laughs> or yeah. whatever. Um, but I would just lie and I would make my macros line up on paper, yeah. but I was just lying. Sure. And I thought I've got to be the only one that does this. No, no. everyone, does. <laughs> everyone yeah. does this. And so this is like, if you're going to take anything away from this conversation, I think you hit the nail on the head that data is data is data. And you have to have all of it because really as a coach, you can go, okay, there's a 3000 calorie binge. There's a 5,000 calorie, but everything else was good. And she still lost weight. So we could mm-hmm. even move her calories, like our macros. Totally it's data and if mm-hmm. we're all lying about it you're because i would say look it's perfect why am i not losing weight mm-hmm. <laughs> but it wasn't you know there was no mm-hmm. ba- no basis in fact and so i think that's where the frustration comes from which brings us back full circle to telling the truth feeling stuck <laughs> to, to being <laughs> stuck into telling the truth about yeah. seeing where you are i mean you got you right. have to see the full picture Totally, yep.
1: And then, oh, and then when you have that full picture, now it becomes really clear of like what you can do in the future. Because if somebody comes to me and they have set their macros, and we, you know, we look at what they're doing and they're not hitting them, then we can start to ask ourselves the question of like, well, what prevented you from hitting that? Like, what did the, like walk me through what that was? And when we can start to identify what's preventing them from hitting those numbers or what's preventing them from you know eating certain foods, then we can create a plan for success in the future. But if you just try to cover your eyes. And just pretend that it never happened. Like you still ate those macros, you like it, still was input into your body, and now you're not going through that process of identifying what's holding you back and making a plan for the future. And if you choose to not learn the lesson in that moment, you will repeat that lesson until you have learned it. And so that's a cycle that I see a lot of women getting in. And when they call it being stuck, it's because they have a lesson that they haven't been willing to learn. And -hmm. if you're not willing to learn the lesson, you're going to just repeat the lesson until you choose to learn it. And you can never learn a lesson by just pretending something didn't happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I know disordered eating is not your specialty and it's, yeah. it's out of the scope of this conversation really. But at the same time, I think a lot of us struggle with disordered eating and have in your experience, like where, what is the first step toward sort of moving toward healthier eating when you have had a history. Like for me, I'm a historic binge eater. Food was withheld mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So I eat like there's no, not going to be any ever again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll yeah. hide food. And when I do a grocery shopping trip, my husband no- noticed, he's like, man, you like really fill the fridge. Like I get so much food because I'm like, well, you just never know when there's not going to be anymore. Like I like to have a week's full of food every day. So like, as it dwindles down, I'm like, no, no, I've got to fill it up. So that's like the root of my disordered eating. And so the first step for me was kind of coming to the realization that there, there will be enough, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, you know, calm it down. So, I mean, is there anything that you found that like in the realm of, com- let's talk about compulsive overeating. Cause I think that's an easier one to maybe talk about publicly, but have you found anything that is helpful as a starting point for your clients with that?
1: Yeah, so I and I and I really want to be careful here because there is a difference between disordered eating and eating disorders, right? And the very clear line between those two, right? An eating disorder is a diagnose. Like you look at the DSM five, right? The DSM five will give you the diagnostic criteria in order to diagnose an eating disorder, and. Obviously, a diagnosed eating disorder needs to be treated by a professional who is specialized in treating psychological disorders. Right. Um, so there's obviously a spectrum, though, and there is a line where it crosses over into an eating disorder, and then there's plenty of stuff leading up to that that isn't a diagnosable eating disorder that we like to term a lot of times disordered eating um and uh what i find with this ordered eating is a lot of, it, it stems from beliefs right and so what you did was you identified that belief right that belief of like scarcity right like mm-hmm. i never know where my next meal is coming from i never know if i'm going to have enough and so i have to have a lot right now because all i have is like the ability to have enough now right so that's a belief and it's a belief that you are holding on to that was causing these actions that you were taking and if we just try to solve the actions It's like trying to you know, get rid of a weed by like pulling off its leaves. You could sit there all day and pull weed, like leaves off weeds and the weeds aren't going to go anywhere. And it's the same thing with belief. If we just focus on the action and we just try to get you to stop binging, it's not going to actually solve the underlying problem, which is the belief of scarcity. And so when we can start to get in and we can look at, we can start to examine your beliefs. What are the beliefs that are causing you to take the actions you're taking? And we can start to shift those beliefs um, from that lower belief level, that subconscious level, then that inherently changes the actions moving forward. Um, and so, obviously, like, um, you know, like cognitive be- behavioral therapy is a big thing with eating disorders. Um, again, that there, there are specialists who like deal with that. I would never say that like all eating disorders can just be resolved with thought work. (laughs) That's not, that's how how it works. But for people who are maybe on the other side of the spectrum that aren't quite that eating disorder, doing that thought work, uh, starting to identify those underlying beliefs and figuring out how to shift those underlying beliefs can change some of those behaviors and changing your relationship with food can also shift some of those behaviors. Um, so that's really where I focus a lot with my clients is, is not just like, it's not just about giving them action and like telling them, like motivating them to take the action or asking why they didn't take the action or telling them to try harder to take the action. Like that doesn't actually work. We have to get down to the root of, of the beliefs and the thoughts and the emotions that are causing the actions um, that are then driving the results. Uh, and so that's what yeah. I would say from someone who's struggling with that, like disordered eating is there's a lot of value in that thought work and being able to have a coach who can start to point it out to you. Cause that's what I said, like beliefs are blind spots for a lot of us. Um, right. and so pulling those beliefs out can be challenging and getting, having somebody to be able to just look at your blind spots and help you with that work can be really valuable, really valuable.
0: Right. And so that's why the conundrum is it's absolutely about the food, but then the food's not really about the foods. So totally. You <laughs> right. Ah. Right. Which is why the like, just try harder
1: that I find so many women get into. Like that's the solution that they come up with. Like right. I just need to try harder. You know, they go, they go Monday through Friday they eat really well. And then they binge on the weekend and they're like, start Monday. And what, what is their, what's their plan? I'm just going to try, try harder. harder. I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to stick to my plan. Like that is a losing battle. A hundred percent of the time, just trying harder does not work. And if you aren't really figuring out what's causing you to, to take that action and solve that, like just trying harder is is a losing battle. And all it does is set, set you up to be able to feel like you're never going to make it or that there's something wrong with you because just try harder doesn't work. It's not your fault that just try harder doesn't work because right. you're you're attacking the wrong problem. You're not attacking right. the actual cause of the problem.
0: And the thing that's so hard to watch and, and be a part, I mean this is I've I've been a part of this this dialogue just try harder, it's just try harder. But the yeah. the frustrating thing is that you will hit a point where you just stop trying because right. it's it's fatigue. Like you can't yep. just try harder and harder and harder for 20, 30 years. Like yep. you'll hit 50 and be like I'm done trying. And yeah. that's, the, that's exactly opposite of what I know you're trying to do and what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to live my back 40 the best because <laughs> I yeah, didn't do totally. a really great job on the front 40. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to live it on the... And I believe I can because I've shifted that belief. It's not about just trying harder, but it is about listening harder and, and being accountable for what's between my ears. That is what mm-hmm. I have found that if I hear that and I'm like, Oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> like what you mm-hmm. just said in your head is bullshit. Like, don't, let's not listen to that. You know, then I don't have to try as hard cause I just, I, you know, like you said, pull the weed out from the root. Um, that's right. Does anyone have any questions? I haven't even been paying attention. I'm so into what you're talking about. All right. Well, if anyone has any questions for Amber, like now's the time because I've got to let her go soon. But I noticed that you loved peanut butter. I, too, love peanut butter and chocolate. And um, in one of my epic, We'd make great friends. We can invite Kristen. She's she's doing well, Kristen, Amber. She's (laughs) Um, But I told my husband about this one binge I had. And he's like, I really don't think you eat that much. And I'm like, oh, no, I do. And he's like, well, how bad is it? And I said, well, I ate an entire jar of peanut butter. And he's like, that's pretty bad. And I said, but wait, my spoon was little pieces of Dove chocolate. So I would sleep (laughs) with the Dove and eat the peanut butter and eat the Dove. And I was like, it was at least a 4,000 (laughs) calorie meal. Yeah you know, but I love, love, love peanut butter and chocolate. Okay. We've got a question. Is this going to be reposted? Yes. It'll be up on the podcast, the same 24 hours podcast, and I will post it to my Instagram TV. So it will be available to share. All right, Amber, we just have a few minutes. So what is the one thing, like if you had one thing to tell the world about hope, (laughs) like about food, nutrition, exercise, your body, like, a hopeful message. What is the one thing yeah. you either knew or could share with someone, and and we'll kind of depart on that note.
1: Yeah, uh, I think the biggest thing that comes up for me, and that I hear over and over and over and over again with the women that I work with, um, and with women in general, is this idea that your past predicts your future. Um, and when you start to live your life feeling like your past is going to predict what's going to happen in the future, um, that's it's not a very hopeful way to live. Right. And, and I find that with women a lot in dieting and in trying to achieve fitness goals. They're like, I failed so many times in the past that how could I ever succeed in the future? It's like that reinforcing, um, like you find evidence, right. To support whatever it is that you believe. And so if, if you've tried a bunch of times in the past, what I find is, it beats you down so much so you get to this point where you're like it's not possible in the future. And what I really would love people to consider is that what you did in the past has no bearing on what is possible for you in the future. And when we can stop looking in the rearview mirror, it's like trying to drive while looking in the rearview mirror, right? Like you're going to crash. If you are trying to make decisions and feel what's possible for you in the future by looking in your past, you're going to crash. And so what I really encourage a lot of the women that I do to work with is to um to take your eyes off the past, like whatever has happened has happened, whatever results you've been able to create or have not been able to create in the past, like that happened. But if you can get your eyes on the future and the possibility of something different being created in the future, um, then that's a much more empowering place to be in your life. And so, um, I don't care what's happened in your past. I don't care how many times you failed before. I don't care what evidence you have to support this idea that you'll never be able to reach your goal. Um, I would really encourage you to put your eyes on the future and recognize that everything is possible 100% of the time um, and that that past has no bearing on what is possible for you in your future. And that's the way that I choose to live in my life. And I find that as my clients start to believe that and recognize that and, and feel that power that is in them. Um, that's one of the, the vision statements that we have for Biceps After Babies is to empower women to tap into the innate ability, the innate ability that every one of us has inside of us to be able to set and achieve whatever goal that they want to achieve. And so that's when I get really excited as a coach, when I start to recognize and see people start to recognize the power that they've always had inside of them and get to be able to be good at accessing that power in creating yeah. a new future that is better than your past.
0: Well, I love it, everyone. This is Amber. I wrote it down. a key. You got <laughs> you guys it. So hard. I wrote it perfectly. <laughs> a key. Um, biceps after babies, and so as everyone can find you, is your website bicepsafterbabies. Bicepsafterbabies.com. Well. Uh, my Instagrams bicepsafterbabies. My podcast is Biceps
1: After Babies Radio. It's spice Beautiful. and better. You planned yourself explicitly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well yep. done, well done. All right, Instagram. I'm gonna turn you off. Thank you so much, Amber. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the same 24 hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.